Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our NBA Roundtable Playoff Edition. But, of course, this is a very special collab that we have today. So this is something that we've been planning for a couple months now because Jalen and I, if you guys didn't already know, we graduated from Towson University. So this is a special Towson University alums collab. We have three of our closest friends here on the pod, so let's just introduce them real quick. We have a regular guest on Hoop Talk Podcast, and he hosts his own podcast. From the Hear Me Out Podcast, please welcome Brooks Warren. For today's episode, you guys can call me Ron Burgundy because I have my Anchor Man crew here and Rashad and, uh, oh my gosh, yeah. Oh, go. <laughs> All right. It. Introducing our next guest. He's making his second appearance on the Hoop Talk Podcast. He is an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, an LA Clippers fan, and Paul George hater. Please welcome Rashad Christian. Hello, hello. Well, or I was about to say welcome back to your own podcast, okay? Uh, it's nice to be back on the podcast and ready to talk some hoops. I've been holding a lot of stuff in lately, so I'm ready to let it all out. And last but not least, also making his second appearance on the Hoop Talk podcast, he is a Portland Trailblazers fan and noted Paul George hater as well. Please welcome Tommy Parker. Yes. What's there, up? There, What's there. up, guys? Thanks for having me back. First of all, congrats to everyone on graduating. Roll Gers. Yes, sir. <laughs> Tiger Roll Town Gers. here in the podcast, and let's get it's after Tiger it. Town. We're hey. Tiger Town, for sure. So, we have a lot to discuss. We're going to talk about all eight playoff series in order, starting with the Eastern Conference and the Philadelphia 76ers and the Washington Wizards. So, Rashad, I'm going to start with you because we heard about the news of Joel Embiid. He's doubtful for Game 5 after leaving Game 4 with an injury. If he doesn't play, how much of an effect will this have on the Sixers in Game 5? Um, I, I think against any other team in the East, this pros is like the biggest problem they could ever have. Obviously, your MVP candidate center being out for a game in a Game 5 that's been like historically the most important of any series. Um, <clears throat> but I think the, the Sixers will be fine, and it's mainly because they're playing the Wizards, right? And the fact that the Sixers have enough depth and enough uh, – they have enough talent all around. You know, you still got Ben Simmons. You still got Toby, who's who's been playing out of his mind recently. And, you know, those are nice fillers from the, the 30 points a game that Joel Embiid is going to give you every night. Um, and, again, I mean, the Wizards are bad – that that's just it. They're just a bad team, and um, I don't think they really deserve to be in the playoffs. So I think the Sixers will be fine regardless. It's good that they're, you know, it's a forced rest for Joel, but it's a rest nonetheless, and he'll be ready for. Hopefully, he'll be ready for round two, and I think they'll just they're going to steamroll them. Ben Simmons, Toby, they're going to be fine. They're going to combine for like fifty points, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty confident in the Sixers tonight or their next game. So, Tommy, with Joel Embiid out, it has become pretty clear that Tobias Harris is the number one guy on this team. But do you believe that he's the number one guy on this team, or is it Ben Simmons, or is it somebody else on the Sixers? I think from a scoring standpoint, it's definitely Tobias Harris. Maybe from a leadership standpoint, you could give it to Ben Simmons. But Tobias Harris has been their number two scorer behind Embiid all series. He had 37 in game one. And then what, 19, 20, 21 following that? And 
I think he's just a better offensive player than Simmons. Don't get me wrong. Simmons is great, but I think he's at his best when he facilitates and, you know, gives Toby a chance to get out there and hit the shots and create on his own. Hey, maybe pre-playoff, or pre-Laker playoff Danny Green will show up for once since he left San Antonio. He can still hit the big shot if needed. Seth Curry, you know, Steph's not in the playoffs, but we still got a Curry that can shoot the lights out. I don't think they're in trouble. I mean, like Rashad said, maybe if they weren't playing the Wizards, but they're playing the Wizards. But I think Toby's that number one guy now. He has been number two, but I think he'll step up. I mean, it's only fair that we transition this conversation to the two Wizards fans, Brooks and Jalen. So, um, I think we... All right, so, Brooks, I'm going to start with you. Russ had a triple-double in Game 4. Beal added 27 points as well. How much do they combine for in tonight's game against the Sixers? They probably combine for, I think I think they combine for 55. I think Bradley Beal probably has 40 himself because Russell Westbrook has been terrible this playoff run so far. Um, yes, he had a triple-double last night, but the dude has the most absurd stat lines. He has 21 rebounds, 14 assists, but then he has 11 points on three for 25 shooting. It's ridiculous. I like. I started to come around on the guy, and then now he's 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 doing some dumb stuff. He he's regressing back to like trying to do too much, and it's it's no fun. It's no fun to watch. I not like Russ as a point guard, but nah, he's he's just not it for me. So Jalen, I mean, without Embiid. Do the Wizards have a chance to take this series? They absolutely do, bro. Wizards in seven. No, bro. Wizards in seven. Brooks. Wizards in seven. Wizards bro. are the first team to come back with 3-0. Listen, bro. This is this this is not even about like series math. This is about like Wizards math, bro. Let, yeah, let's Wizards just like put it in real perspective, bro. Hashtag we won, we won by eight with Joel and B going out early. And this is how much the stars had to align. Rui Hachimura had a 20-point double-double. Mm-hmm. There's Bertans hit three threes. I, I hate to be disrespectful and make it seem like that's supposed to be some magical thing for a dude that we paid in the offseason, but, like, for him, the way he's been off from beyond the arc most of the year, most of this season specifically, uh, the, the year that got him paid is not the year we're playing in, clearly. Um, Russell Westbrook got away with shooting three of 19. Like, that's getting away with murder. Mm-hmm. Bradley Beal got away with shooting 9 of 23, which is not as crazy for him as high volume as he is. So I'm not as, like, disturbed by that. But, like, still, they got away with their two stars in the backcourt combining for making 12 shots. Rui Hachimura only took 12 shots. Like, and then, like, let's let's talk about the real math that really leaned this game. And it just shows Joel Embiid's impact. Robin Lopez scored 16 points in 19 minutes. We're not getting that again. I'm sorry. And even if we get half of that, this is a tie ball game. Literally. Literally, if you get, if you cut Robin Lopez's to- point total in half, which is more likely to happen than 16 points, we only get eight from him like normal, this game goes into OT and we get killed. Probably. Well, I don't want to say killed, but it's going to be closer, but we probably lose. So with that being the case, I just don't know how we can go about doing that when we had to have like everything line up well and we still like I mean eight points is not barely winning but like 
it wasn't dominant for the fact that like everything that we need to typically go well in a game to win at a uh, at a high rate had happened and we still didn't like really come out too crazy i mean even if even even if you look at it for them like Tyrese Maxey was their second leading scorer on the team. That's not going to happen again. So, like, even if you look at it in their, on their side of things, they got more bench production than they get from, than they got from their starters outside of probably Tobias Harris. I don't think that's that's going to be typical now that these guys, in terms of Ben Simmons and Curry specifically, are going to know what their role is coming like coming into this game versus beforehand. It's just be big fella to rock like we've been doing, like versus coming into game five. They they both are gonna have to take on a different role. We've seen Ben Simmons aggressive in this series. Like, I don't think we should just be sleeping on the fact that we know Ben Simmons can be that dude. I don't know if Ben Simmons is the number one. I kind of agree with Tommy in terms of Tobias being the number number one without question. But I still think that like we know Ben Simmons has a mean streak in him enough to be able to get them a game. So and all they need is a game. So I think they finish it. All right, moving on to the next series, the Nets and the Celtics. Now, just looking at the series overall, the one glaring thing was the play of KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, who all of them did their thing in Game 5. Tommy, I'm going to start with you. How much is it going to take from these three to beat Milwaukee in the next round? It's not going to take much. Brooklyn has been the favorite to come out of the East since before they got James Harden. And after they got James Harden, I don't think that's changed anything. You know, you have a rejuvenated Blake Griffin who's yamming on people, and you have sweet stroke Joe Harris who can drop 25 out of nowhere. And, I mean, not even to mention Uncle Jeff. Like, I think this is the best Bucks team in the Giannis era. Like, Drew Holiday is a total difference maker over Eric Bloodsell. Trust me, as a Blazers fan. I know the impact that Drew Holiday can have, and I think he makes the team so much better than they were. But the same reason you love Chris Middleton is the same reason I don't trust this team, and that's game one of the series against the Heat. You know, Giannis struggled mightily, and I think Giannis is still a great player, but I don't think he scored that game outside of dunks, layups, and free throws. And from the free throw line, he only shot 46%. And I know, you know, they kind of coasted into the playoffs and, you know, they weren't the one seed like they had been. But in a day and age of superstars teaming up together to get a ring, why didn't Giannis leave Milwaukee? You know, I don't think that's the spot for him to do it. And I think this is the best team he's been on since he got into the league. But I still think this Nets team can be the best big three that we've ever seen. Rashad, you looked like you had something to say, so I'll let you I'll let you take the floor. I think okay, so I'll preface this by saying I've never been a Bucks believer and more specifically a Giannis believer. But the way they manhandled the Heat in round one, it kind of showed me that they were coming at this playoff run with kind of a different attitude, right? Obviously the Heat had their own issues, you know, Tyler Hero being Garbage, for lack of a better term. Um, and Bubble the, fraud. Well, not playing their wall defense like they did last year, stuff like that, right? Um, but the the ferocity, the tenacity from the Bucks, like Tommy just mentioned, this is the best big three this team has ever had. I think this is the only big three this team has had in the Giannis era. And it's it's kind of interesting when you look at both teams. It's like, okay, you have the Bucks here with a big three that's defensive-oriented. 
And then you have the next big three that's offensively oriented. Now it's just a matter of who does which better, right? Because obviously Drew, uh, Drew Holiday and Kyrie are going to match up. Chris Middleton's going to have the bulk of his assignments on James Harden. And Giannis is going to defend KD, which is probably the best matchup in the league so far, the most even one. Um so honestly, like I like the Nets, and I still I have them winning in probably six games, probably because offense is just they have the best offense ever. Like if you look at offensive rating on, you know, they have historically the absolute best offense we have ever seen, and I, I think that's just a little too much to overcome, especially from a Bucks team that is, you know, like they're just not as offensively gifted as the Nets are, and the Nets defense is improving, so even. Whatever improvements the, the Bucks make on the offensive side can kind of sort of be matched by the Nets' improvements on defense as the season has been going on. So I hmm, I like the Nets overall in the series, but the Bucks will definitely give them a run for their money, and it's going to be at minimum a six-game series. Yeah, I think that a seven-game series, a six-seven-game series, that's probably where I have it. But just looking at the Brooklyn Nets overall, just from the Boston series, Brooks, I feel like the one thing that's really stopping this team is their defense. But is it going to be their downfall going into the next round against the Bucks, or do you believe it's going to be something else? If they end up losing to the Bucks, I think it would it would have to take a like the most dominating, skillfully performance ever from Giannis, and it's going to have to take like breakout shooting from Brent Forbes. I mean, again, the guy scored, the guy hit six threes. What was it, game three against mm-hmm. the Heat to really break that game open? So you gotta have, you gotta be able to match that firepower of the Nets. Again, they have Kyrie Irving, they got Joe Harris, they got Katie, they got a James, they got James Harden, they got Jeff Green. You have to be able to match that firepower. Is Drew Holiday, Brent Forbes, Space Mountain, Brooke Lopez going to be able to match that? I don't think it's possible, bro. I think this is yeah. Again, Tommy, Tommy said that this is their best, uh, best team in the Giannis era. I, I agree with that. I just don't think that they're going to be able to match that firepower, man. This team is really good physically. They can beat you up any any way that you that you ask them to do it. But being able to out tough a team and being able to out out firepower them, that's just I don't think it's going to be possible for these guys. Um, it's going to be a sad way for Giannis to end the season, man, because we don't want to see him sit out in the second round again. He's done that for the last two years. So, and, I, and Rashad, I'm glad that you're with me on the Giannis slander train. Oh, thank God. Because he's a great physical force. Absolutely. But he's not a skilled guy. Nope. He's like, like some people will say, oh, LeBron is just great because he's big and he's strong and he's fast. You can say that you can apply that same uh, sent- sentence to Giannis. Like, mm-hmm. what can the guy do other than post you up? He can hit a fadeaway. He's like, it's like what Stephen A. Smith, Stephen A. Smith said about Kwame Brown, right? You can't commit a post move to memory and do it three times in a row. Mm-hmm. I don't think Giannis can do that, really. I think Giannis has his moments of flash, but he's not going to be, like, the guy that leaves you in the fourth quarter. I've said this time and time again. He's not a four, He's not a last four-minute guy. I don't believe that at all. That's where Drew Holiday comes in, but he's, can Drew match up, again, with Kyrie and James Harden? You've got a tall task in guarding them. Yeah, and I think that it's it's already going to be tough to deal with the trio of Katie, Kyrie, and James Harden. So how do you shut down one of them? And I think that's the conversation that Jalen and I had off camera was how do you take out Kyrie or how do you take out Harden? Because it's going to be difficult to take out KD. I mean, I mean, the tricky part is you can't do the switching thing. That's, that's, 
you're getting eaten on that. That's not going to work. I think the biggest thing is everybody's going to have to commit to their assignments. It's a big three versus big three directly because I feel like defensively that's going to be the same requirements um, of the Bucks that they're uh, on that end in order for them to be able to hold up. I don't think if they're going to go blow for blow, that's going to work. I think this is going to be one of those things where defensively they're going to have to guard, and I think it lines up as – See, Giannis showed me a little something, something with the whole guarding the best player on the opposing team thing with Jimmy, and he and he held his own in it. And I think that's important because he showed it against a top-level perimeter player. I think the difference is that KD brings you a lot further away from the basket than Jimmy does as a threat. And he made – and he – Giannis specifically made Jimmy settle for three-pointers. Well, I don't think you want to do that with KD, so that's kind of a – kind of a separate thing but I think that Giannis is gonna have to take on that one-on-one assignment I don't think he can be somebody who tries to you know play you know center fielder down low I think that he's gonna have to take that assignment I probably I probably for lateral purposes will put Drew Drew on Kyrie um because I think he's the only one out of the other two that can keep up the entire time and I think that Chris might be the most technically sound to the point that a guy like James Harden who He'll still get to the line when he when he wants to. I think he I think Chris might be the most technically sound in terms of being able to go one on one defensively against him. So I think that's just how it's gonna have to line up. Man, Brooklyn's tough, bro. That's like that's their thing because any one of them can go crazy, and then when they combine for one on one, you're like, what are you supposed to do? Like you know what I mean? Like one on one, once upon a time, one people games like as a whole, right? These three as a group did that you know what I mean they had a game against uh the Celtics I want to say it was game three where like they were all struggling from three and then I think coming out of the half they were just like "Mm," bump it and like just it was literally just it was literally I think they scored I want to say like 95 percent of their points in the third quarter and the next thing you know they were like up by eight I'm like okay you you can't do anything with that and I think the Bucks can guard a lot better than the Celtics can from a from a one to one standpoint, but that's just a lot, bro. That is a ton. Yeah, um, just to add a couple things onto that. Um, there is a there's a route for the Bucks to win, but it's a very complicated one. It involves keeping James Harden away from the second unit as much as possible because the reason why the Nets have been so good all year is because when you know Kate, the big three plays together. They play their minutes in the first quarter, and then James Harden leads the second unit in the second quarter, and then they start beating up on other teams' second units, right? Obviously, James Harden is going to feast on, like, T.J. McConnell of the second unit or whatever, right? right. Um, so that's what, you got to keep James Harden on the floor with the first unit as much as possible and, and run their timeout together and keep them together and keep them bunched up so that the big three faces off against the big three. You don't want to have – James Harden isoing against your five-man second unit. That's an easy way to lose the game, and it's an easy way for James Harden to average 40 points this playoff series, which I think might have to happen because Chris Middleton is not even arguably the weakest defender out of their big three, and Giannis is going to be taken out of action. KD's probably going to spend a lot of time in the deep corner or on the wing. He doesn't really have to do much because he's got the two better offensive weapons at his disposal by his side. So this will be a series, I think, where KD kind of takes a step back. James Harden steps out of that playmaker first role and starts attacking Chris Middleton. It starts attacking Brooke Lopez and, and, and really going at his assignments all series. Qu- 
The question is, is James Harden going to sell or is he going to, are we going to buy his stock? Because we know we can't trust him all the time in the playoffs. I mean, he had a triple double. Was it game two or game three? We know the guy's capable of in the regular season, but what can he do when it matters the most in the second round, man? I think this is such a different James Harden because he settled into a role that fits him so well, right? Like I said, he's a, a second unit playmaker. He, ba- he basically defers to Katie and Kyrie already, right? And, we all know what James Harden could do offensively when he is really putting his mind to it. The man averaged, what, 36 or something like that? Yeah, he averaged 36 in a year, right? That's the that's the player they have now. He hasn't gotten worse. His role has just changed. So I think we can definitely rely on him to be the top guy because we have already seen him be the top guy. And Kyrie, Kyrie. Kyrie and KD are both players that are, are willing to pass the torch off to somebody. That's why they work so well as a unit. Because none of them are selfish. None of them are like, I'm going to get mine before anybody else's. They're they're willing to defer. And I think that'll be the biggest part. And, you know, James Harden just has to accept the, the new role in this series or the new hypothetical role, which is him being the, the lead option, the top scorer. Like Rashad said, Katie can step back offensively. But defensively, I mean, he's shown when he was in Golden State and last series even shutting down Tatum. Mm-hmm. He can be the best defensive player in the world if he wants to be. He's so lanky, like he's so long and he's so tall. He can block shots. He can poke the ball out of your hands. If he really puts his mind to it, he can be the best defender on the court. And he can step back offensively and let Kyrie and James Harden and everyone else do their thing and then focus on slowing down Giannis, which if he can get the ball out of Giannis's hands before he gets down low, then He's got a great shot at neutralizing Giannis. One one quick note about Giannis too. Giannis versus KD. Giannis hit eight of twenty three pointers against them in two regular season wins, and we know he's not a three point shooter. Mm-mm. So that's going to be a really interesting stat to to keep track of and development to keep track of. So I feel like I know we're talking a lot about the Nets, and I think the big three matchups are going to be key. I feel like we can't leave this series without talking about the Celtics. Because there are a lot of questions after this one, and we just got some breaking news. So, Jalen, I'll just I'll hand it over to you. Explain to the people this breaking news that just happened. Yeah, fellas, um, I dropped this before we started recording, but uh, Woj put something up that I think is really important in terms of looking at the future of this team. It was a couple of things, honestly. Okay, so the first thing is Danny Ainge is stepping away from the Boston Celtics entirely. That's that's huge because he's the guy that's been known. Or I guess his reputation has built up, been built off of fleecing the Nets almost what feels like a decade ago at this rate once upon a time with a trade that got him a lot of treasure trove and sent a lot of older players away. Those players being Kevin Garnett, Jason Terry, and Paul Pierce. Um, He stepped down. Brad Stevens is supposed to fill his shoes in that front office position. And even more interestingly than that, literally before we press record, the Woj bomb came that. David Fisdale is supposed to be the new coach. So I'm just going to give my two cents real quick because of the fact that I literally don't know how other how any other way to phrase it, but to say I'm confused. So I, that's why I want to start is because I want to get you guys' takes on this because I'm personally lost. Um, It feels like the coaching hire was very quick. Um, two of the names that were associated with the hiring was Jason Kidd and Lloyd Pierce. 
Um, not really sure how that whole thing like disappeared, like that, like evaporated within a couple of hours in terms of actually being a a real coaching search. Uh, they're actually being a real coaching search taking place. It seems like that didn't really happen. Um, I have questions about David Fisdale being the coach himself because there's no real offensive system, at least from what I learned from the New York Knicks. And I think that Boston has a better internal structure than the Knicks in terms of roster building, which I think is a little bit better in terms of giving him somebody to coach with. Once upon a time, he coached with a grit and grind Grizzlies team that was that had an established identity. I think you can say they have Jason Tatum, they have Jalen Brown, they have Marcus Smart, they have Kimball Walker. You can say that their group is established, but I don't think their identity is established because this is a team that has had playoff runs with like it doesn't like it doesn't make sense. They they keep adding up draft picks while wanting to be a contending team. So I think as much as they have the structure to be a real contender in the East, they have not made business moves outside of little trades here and there that identify that they're actually built to be a championship team. So like, so Tommy, I'm going to start with you, bro. Cause I like, cause like I said, I'm kind of confused and I'm not really sure where to go with them. Where do you stand on any of like on Boston in general with everything that's been listed up? Cause I'm, like I said, I'm lost. Yeah, I mean, it was before this season they made three out of four Eastern Conference Finals. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, like you said, they pile up a lot of draft picks. And, you know, whether those pan out or not is completely different. But for the big part, they have. Like, Tatum and Jalen Brown are two budding stars in this league. And they were two of the biggest picks that Boston got from, you know, fleecing people. Like, just... Highway robbery. They were taking candy from babies. It was easy. And, I mean, Danny Ainge did some great things for them. I don't know if there was something internal that made him want to step down or if it was just, you know, he couldn't hold on to, you know, taking over the Nets anymore after the Nets came back and whipped <laughs> him. But Brad Stevens, I'm surprised on his part because he's got to have a great relationship with the players. But, Back at his days at Butler, even the last couple of seasons in Boston, he's been a great coach. Like, he was the second coming of Greg Popovich, the way he ran that offense and that defense and that team. I think he was a great coach. So I don't know how long it's going to last that he stays in the front office before he goes out and wants to coach again, honestly. Unless they're giving him a pretty big check to stay in the front office. Because he's a great coach. And I, I like... As... Living in the Baltimore, D.C. area, I hate Boston sports, but I really like the way, like, Brad Stevens ran that team and the way he ran Butler, and I think he's a great coach, and I'm just, as a basketball fan, kind of upset to see him not being a coach anymore. And it's a good thing that Robert Williams is the big man for Boston because David Fisdale hates European big men. <laughs> so if they had a big man that wasn't, Robert Williams, then it would be bad luck for him. But I think as soon as Brown's healthy next year and Tatum's going to take another step, I think they're going to compete, you know, even if it is Fisdale there. I don't know what they were looking for in a coach if they went from Brad Stevens to Fisdale. But I still think, like you said, they don't have an identity, but they've got a great core group of players that we'll just have to see how they adapt to the new coach. But I'm confused as well. 
so okay, so Rashad, let's like build off of that, right? Because that's what that's what we kind of have to do with Boston because their season is over. So we kind of just have to establish where they're going into the off season and what to expect from them moving forward. So to you, what are you more optimistic about when it comes to Boston themselves? Is it that Brad Stevens is the one taking over? In the front office, somebody who's been established within the organization itself has been a part of the building process of this team post KG era and has been somebody next to Danny Age pretty much from at least the beginning in terms of not having, you know, GMs jump around on him like the way most coaches tend to have. Or is it the fact that, you know, as opposed to the New York Knicks times that David Fisdale has a legit roster that he can coach up, knowing that he has a very physical based, uh, physically based um, mentality in terms of running his teams. He has guys like Marcus Smart who wants to play aggressive. He has guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum that are both going to play up to the challenge uh, and be challenged by him and take that well. What, what, are, which one, which one of those two things, or if there's something completely different, what are you the most optimistic about when it comes to the Celtics moving forward? Because they've had a ton of changes. And I feel like it's hard to just look at all of them as net negative, though. Uh, no, you're definitely right. Um, there's just so many moving parts right now with the Celtics. It's hard to mm-hmm. kind of pinpoint what there is to actually like to look at as something in the future that is that's good for them. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think the one sure thing, and this will be different than what the the options that you listed, it'll be the advancement of Jason Tatum. And I know that's a cop out answer, but my thing is that this guy just went up against the best offense of all time and arguably the best trio we will ever and have ever seen. Um, and he did, he, he took a game by himself, mm-hmm. right? He went off all series. He was playing really good defense. He was tremendous on the offensive end. And the fact that he has seen what his high level of play can do against such a formidable opponent, he took a game. He won a game. Now he knows that, okay, if I put up 40 points and play above average defense, I can will my team to victory. And the fact that he knows he's going to get Jalen Brown back next year, the fact that he knows he's going to get Kemba Walker back, and the fact that there are movements in in the front office and he knows Brad Stevens and Brad Stevens exactly what Jason Tatum's going to need because he's been coaching him for the last X amount of years. That So I guess... I am pretty excited about Brad Stevens stepping into the GM role or the, the basketball operations role. He'll be able to make the big time decisions now being so close to his players, exactly what the roster needs. Cause there's only so much that, you know, a GM who was never coached can do, right. They can, they can look at the best free agent. They can look at the best trade options, but in the for the players is the coach. So having your, your really, really good coach, like Tommy just said, step up into a role where he can actually make more of a difference and more decisions that directly benefit the team, him and his, and the conjunction with Jason Tatum, knowing that he is a superstar. Now, I think we can all agree that Jason's bona fide superstar. Uh, and he's still 19 years old, right? Still really- <laughs> <laughs> um, he, I mean, he has so much time ahead of him. And next year, I think he's going to take like, probably the biggest leap we'll we'll see out of somebody. Um so those two things those two things I'm really excited for and I think they'll gel well together as a, a GM superstar tandem because I think now Jason Tatum's gonna get a lot of decision making um duties and responsibilities now that Brad Stevens in in the front office now. So I mean it looks good for the Celtics. 
I still don't like them as contenders, especially given the Nets have at least two years left together. So it, I mean, it's kind of hard, but I think they will be they'll be real contenders moving forward now for sure. With those two moves specifically. So Brooks, again, we're going to keep trying to like build upon this, right? Because I think the biggest thing with the Celtics is just that like they have probably one of the more interesting off seasons ever because of the fact that they had so much move so quick. And um, we talked about this earlier, um, actually, when we had linked up, and actually even prior to that, when we were merch. About stuff. yes, sir, uh, we had linked up earlier, but we had actually talked about it a little bit in our like separate group chat about the idea that on one of our past pods we were talking about the Celtics and their circumstances moving to the off season. Um, you notably, and I'll quote, said that when I was talking about Brad Stevens getting up out of there. This is definitely not what I meant. And he said that in the terms of them looking at him in the coaching position and saying that they might need to hear a new voice in that room. But I think he meant that. And Brooks, I hope I'm not misquoting you when I when I when I say it like this. But I think you meant that on a literal sense, not as in the boy got a promotion, pretty much. Uh, Well, your boy got a promotion. So with that being the case, where do you stand on that specific move itself? Because that was used to, I said in the podcast, I thought the finger needed to be pointed at Danny Ainge and it was about dang time that somebody finally put the onus on him. He took that onus on himself to realize the circumstances, but the whiz kid is still in the room. He's in a bigger room now. So where do you stand on Brad Stevens as a front office executive as opposed to coaching now? Cause that's like a, a, a serious transition that I don't think we really anticipated when we thought about his future with the Celtics. No, not at all. I, If you had told me Danny Ainge was going to step down, I would have thought another experienced executive would have been replacing him, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like he, and they would have given Brad Stevens a season or two to really prove, okay, this is an outlier, and I'm, I really am the whiskey that everybody thinks I am. Um you know, in this, he didn't, he didn't fail, but he did fail up in regard of being able, like this guy was an overachiever. He overachieved a Butler. He overachieved one of three to four, three out of four, um, conference finals. One of them they were supposed to go to, or two of them you could really say they're supposed to go to, but like the Isaiah Thomas team, no way they should have been a conference finals team at all. So he definitely overachieved. He definitely did great things with those Boston Celtics teams, but they weren't able to get over that hump. Whether that was not having enough energy and stamina to be able to withhold the uh, the heat from from beating them in fourth quarters last year, or them just being out talented against LeBron, whatever it may be, they just weren't able able to get over the hump. And that's why I'm so hard on Brad Stevens because I think he's a great coach. I agree with you, Tommy. He's just not that guy to get you over the hump right now. He, he couldn't do it at Butler. He couldn't do it at Boston. So if he can get it over as a as a front office executive, I'll be extremely surprised. Um, and Rashad, you know, his point about he co- he's coached his team, so he knows how to – he knows who to add. I think it's it's an interesting point because normally, like Tom Thibodeau, Doc Rivers, they had roles as coaches and GMs. Brad Stevens only has to worry about one thing now. So I think that really helps him out. Whoever ends up being that coach, if it's David Fitzdale, they're going to they're gonna have, like, a good blueprint because Brad Stevens is going to be able to hand over those notes – they're going to know what offense to run. They're going to know what defense to run, what buttons to push. Jason Tatum, Jaden Brown, you got to yell at them. They'll, they'll be able to take that criticism. Marcus Smart, maybe the same deal. It's about everybody else. It's about all that supporting cast, man, because Kemba Walker can't stay healthy. 
uh, Time Lord. We got to see what happens with him. Again, he is a starting center, or he should be. He's the most talented guy in that front court. So you got to figure out what to do with him. But, yeah, I'm I'm surprised that Brad Stevens decided to get out of coaching. We'll see what happens moving forward. I'm, I, I, I'm not happy. I'm not sad about the move. Honestly, I'm kind of indifferent towards it. I don't know how to feel. Because, again, this is a guy who hasn't done this in, before. So if he ends up failing again, what 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 does there to really say about Brad Stevens? But if he succeeds, should he have just been a GM from, from the start? The other thing that we don't mention with this is the fact that if Brooklyn wins the championship this year, they pretty much got finessed by the Celtics but still won the championship eight years later. It's reverse, essentially. A reverse fleecing. It's, <laughs> it's reverse fleecing. I think that's maybe the best way to put it because of the fact that Brooklyn had Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and a bunch of other former All-Stars and made the playoffs the year later, then rebuilt, and then signed three of the best players in the NBA currently. While Boston made the conference finals three times and did not make any finals appearances. Let that sink in real quick. Because it's really going to affect not the development of the Boston Celtics, but the future of the Boston Celtics going forward. Moving on to the next series in the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat. Brooks, I'm just going to start with you on this one. Are you impressed with the Bucks or disappointed with the Heat? I mean, I'm more impressed by the Bucks than I am disappointed in the Heat. I mean, they wanted this matchup. They fought or they didn't fight hard. I mean, they lost games to make sure that they could get this matchup. But they said, they, they said our goal is to beat the Miami Heat, and they proved that they could do it. They got rid of all the naysayers saying, oh, build a wall against Giannis, and you can beat him. <laughs> Obviously, that wasn't going to work. Obviously, you get rid of Jimmy Brothers' impact. You get rid of Tyler Hero's impact. Duncan Robinson, Garn Dragic is struggling still. They did everything they had to do. They are doing what the Clippers thought that they could do against the Mavericks. I'm more impressed with the Bucks. Rashad, I'm going to pick it up with you because, I mean, this is the first time in uh, Eric Spolcher's head coaching tenure that he's been swept in the first round. First time ever in mm-hmm. 15 years, close to, somewhere around there. But what was the main reason why Miami lost in four games? Aside from the fact that the Bucks were just significantly better than them this year, um, I, it just came down to, to players not showing up, right? There's only so much coaching you can do with bad talent. And I'm not saying that the Heat have bad talent. Their talent played awful, though. And that's the thing. Their talent played awful. They didn't show up, and they lost the key part of what made them so good last year, which was Jay Crowder, who's now on the Suns, who are now about to make it to the second round, which we'll talk about later, of course. But um, I, I blame the players, obviously, right? And Giannis did his thing. He he manned up on Jimmy Butler like people were, were getting on him for last year. Like, you're the defensive player of the year. Why aren't you guarding the absolute best offensive player on the floor? He's like, I did it this year, and it, it led to a sweep. And Honestly, it just all comes down to the, the players not playing, honestly, because Tyler Hero, I said this before, but Tyler Hero was actually tremendously awful in this series and has been for quite a while this season. And I, it, it's like one of the worst sophomore slumps you can ever think of, because the man went from 
dropping 30 in a conference finals, playing really good in the finals, to being a garbage time player in the first round of the playoffs. So that kind of drop off, they were hoping so much and they put so much stock into him. You know, whether the rumors were true or about the James Harden trade and them not wanting to trade Tyler Hero were true or not, you know, he's not he's not that asset anymore. He's not that player like he was last year. And it's weird to say that about a rookie and the fact that his play would have made a lot more of a difference this year. Um, but honestly, they just they didn't come to play and the Bucks did and the Bucks knew exactly what they needed to do. And they left in four games. I'll go like in a direction um, that I don't think we're taking that I think we should. I think the reality of the situation is Milwaukee learned from their series last season and they outheat the heat. I mean, flat out. Like, I mean, I wrote this before. Um, I actually wrote it as soon as the series was over. Um, that if you just look at every game in this series, right? Game one plays to an even standstill. Everything statistically adds up to the point that this game could have went nip and tuck. And at the end of the day, they were able to give the ball to Chris Middleton to close. And he closed the game. That hurts. But at the end of the day, it was a close game. You could say that you were competitive and you lost off a buzzer beater off of a player who's not one of your, he's not going to be on your list of top 10 ISO scorers with five seconds left in the game to make something happen. But he's a guy for that team that will be at the top of your list to make a play. In game two, they shot the lights out. Something the Heat were doing the entire postseason last year in terms of shooting a three. They were poking everybody's eye out by being able to lean on guys like Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. Even Goran Dragic played really well last year in the postseason. It was like their leading scorer for that entire finals run. Milwaukee wasn't having it. They shot those threes right back. And, of course, yeah, Bryn Forbes was at the top of that list. But it was a lot of dudes. Pat Connaughton, low-key, probably had He had the series of his life shooting the three. And, I mean, he only really had one really crazy game. But he had the series of his life shooting the three. In game three, they out-physicaled the crap out of them. Killed them in points in the paint. Killed them in points off turnovers. Killed them in the rebound department. Literally doubled them in rebounds in game three. By game four, you sold that Cancun trip was booked. Like by game four, it was it was over. There was nothing else to talk about. You know what I'm saying? So my thing is when I look at it, I just genuinely feel like Milwaukee Milwaukee did what everybody said that they usually don't do. Budenholzer actually switched the game up and every single every single game, Miami got hit with something different. Every single game, Miami lost in a different way. Now, shooting luck comes down to shooting luck. But at the end of the day, they got killed in every facet of the game. I mean, at the end of the day, that does come off of effort. But I think Milwaukee just came strapped. And that's that's really I think that did them more justice than anything. And any series you come into kind of hot, you're going to have a little bit something more for for the team that's on the other side. And we all kind of have this little inkling that Miami was in for it in terms of, you know, Milwaukee coming in with a little bit to prove, but the 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 way the dismantling happened just goes to tell you that Milwaukee was ready. I I can put as much of the blame on Miami as I want to, but I think Miami I think I think Milwaukee was just strapped. I think that's just how they felt about it was that they were good they they had the Heat's number this time. And I think the interesting thing with Miami was 
the fact that Jimmy Butler didn't score as much as we thought he would. He wasn't as much of a factor in this series as we thought he as as we thought he was going to be. We could also put the blame on guys like Tyler Hero and Kendrick Nunn who were shooting poorly, especially in games three and four. But the reality of the situation is, I mean, Butler was just outscored. Bam Adebayo was outplayed in the paint by Giannis. And I think that Giannis actually has like a reason and a case to go to the finals this time, considering his team is significantly better than what it was last year. And this is where I'll throw it to Tommy, because Giannis knows that he can out-physical anybody in the paint. And I think that if he gets that mid-range game, and if he gets that three-point game on point, he's going to be a dangerous player. So what will it take for Giannis to take out the Brooklyn Nets? Because, I mean. Realistically, this seems like the year that Giannis is going to be able to make it to the finals. Yeah, like I had said earlier, I mean, this is the best team Giannis has ever had. And, I mean, is he as good as his, what, back-to-back MVPs? No. But is his team better than it was when he won those? Yes. And so he has a better team, and I think it's going to be, you know, he... Like we said earlier, you can make the same case for him as you can with LeBron, how he's only good because he's bigger and stronger than everyone. But LeBron's still done it. He's got to channel that team playerness. He can't do it all by himself. That's not how he has done it, but he can't try to continue to do that. He's got to rely on Chris Middleton. Like Jalen was saying, you know, he's not top of the list of someone – You'd have taking that shot in the league, but for that team, he's towards the top of the list. So Giannis has to rely on the guys around him, and he can't do too much. He just has to do what's there for him. Like, he's going to be going up against maybe the best offensive team in the history of the NBA. So they're going to give up points, but they're not the best defensive team in the history of the NBA. So they just have to be able to score when they're able to. They have to take what they're given in this series, and that's what it's going to take for them to win. And I think it's going to be interesting as a team overall, like with the Bucks Big 3 and the Brooklyn Big 3, like we mentioned in the last series, it's just going to be a matter of which Big 3 is going to be the best Big 3. So let's just let's just move on to the next series, the New York Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks. And I feel like there's only one place that we can really start with this series. Jalen, as the Hawks fan on this podcast, what is your reaction to Clint Capella making these comments? Man, ain't nobody playing Clint Capella no mind, bro. I'm going to be honest. like, And I, I, I loved his play so far this year. I think the Knicks had a positive response in terms of Julius Randle and Derek Rose both responding to it, responding to the scenario the same way I did. Like honestly, not really worried about that. Like he he kind of went into further comments about talking about uh, different forms of physicality for uh, physicality on the floor. I don't really care about any of that, bro. In reality, the way I look at this series is Julius Randle averaged thirty plus points against us during the regular season. DeAndre Hunter did not play. DeAndre Hunter has played in every game in the series. Everybody's talking about how Julius Randle is overrated. 
like I, I look, I like because I know the casual NBA fan is gonna point to Trey Young's ability to close game one, the fact that he's played so well, the fact that he's turned into like this next Reggie Miller type in terms of being like a Knicks supervillain and stuff. But at the end of the day, the this series to me, because the guard play is there on both sides, man. Seriously, mm-hmm. like Trey has done what he's done. We've gotten stuff from Bogey as well. But then, I mean, you also have to look at the Knicks side of things. Derrick Rose has played out of his mind, played completely out of his mind. They've been getting crazy bench production from the guard position. But Julius Randle has not been himself. Didn't he have like a nine for 20 game or something like that early in this series? Like, I mean, he just and we're talking about one of the most efficient guys in the league this year, won the MIP for a reason. DeAndre Hunter has been the wing defender that this team has needed the entire time. As a team that likes to run up and down and play high-paced offense, DeAndre Hunter is the guy who on the other side of the court helps defend the best player, the best perimeter player on that team, while also creating other possessions by being an active dude who can anchor down that defense. I mean, Clint Capella is nice and all, but Clint Capella has not had a crazy series. That's another reason why I'm not really trying to hear it from him. Like, he hasn't even had enough. He hasn't even like went crazy in this series yet. Had he had me a t- given me a twenty uh, a twenty rebound game somewhere in here with a couple blocks something like that, I'm like, okay, you have finesse physicality. He hasn't really done anything that is like set the world on fire inside. So I think that this series really just comes down to the fact that Randall hasn't played well. That has a lot to do with DeAndre Hunter, and outside of that, this is two teams that have not been in the playoffs that are teaching us more about the next generation of basketball more than they're teaching about teaching us about the championship uh picture this year because these two teams scare me down the line julius randall is going to continue to be a problem emmanuel quickly coming off that bench for them is a problem rj bear has not had a crazy series but this year has taught me that you need to people need to stop jumping on dudes for their freshman seasons because his his bounce back year, he was in the MIP race just as much as Julius Randle was for a good portion of the year. So and then when you look at the Atlanta Hawks side, that's what happens when your front office puts their money where their mouth is. Trey Young went into the went into the offseason, hands in his uh, face in his hands, wondering where the hell his help was. And they made trades. They signed dudes and they did what they had to do. And now he's in a situation where when you pay guys what they need in order to get the kind of help that you that that you need to be able to go be competitive in a playoff series. We seen a team that's young, led by a dude who was just an all star season ago, potentially take his team to the second round and be a real threat. So I think that this series teaches a lot about the future of the NBA in terms of being able to build a team the gritty way and build a team with the money. And still being able to get all star talent, all star caliber production and get good bench play. So I think this series is just very instructional and informational. But beyond that, bro, like Atlanta, the, the, the state of Georgia has killed me for like three years. I'm a Georgia fan through and through. I went to sleep when the Georgia Alabama game was supposed to be over and I woke up and we lost. I closed my eyes for 30 seconds against the Patriots and I took a lap around the Towson, the entire Towson campus in shame after we lost that game. If they blow this 3-1 lead, I'm going to have to hang Atlanta sports up on this one because 
they killing me with this. Everything about this series is in- instructional, but on the face value of it, Atlanta should win this series. And I've been saying that since the beginning. I love the Knicks all year, but I said coming into this series, Atlanta's just more talented. They should win. They should win. That's how I feel about it. So I guess on that note, I'll pose this to the panel because, I mean, Trey Young has been going off in these playoffs. Does he score over or under 30 points? Tommy, I'm going to start with you. I want to say over. I'm not guaranteeing a Hawks win, but you know when they have a chance to close it out, the way he's been playing this series, that he's going to be going for it, and he's going to be just throwing it up. And more often than not, when Trey Young's throwing it up, it's going in. So when he's running the floor and when he's putting it up, I think he's going to have himself a game. Brooks, what about you? I think the Hawks probably win this one now. I, I I don't think that the Knicks the Knicks shouldn't be selling in in Madison Square Garden, bro. Like as great as the season was, you do not want to go outside in your home arena. But the Hawks are just too talented, and they're shutting everybody up. Because I was one of those people that thought the Knicks were too well coached and had the physicality and had the talent to beat this Hawks team. And obviously, I was wrong because Trey Young and them boys have. They did just become the darling of the playoff. So the Hawks, Trey Young, uh, Bogdanovich, I mean, that guy's a sharpshooter. DeAndre Hunter, if DeAndre Hunter plays tonight, like he is the, Jalen mentioned the fact that he's been the difference maker against Julius Randle. You need him to play tonight. So I think the Hawks have it, especially if DeAndre Hunter ends up playing. Ryan, can I pose a question to the host real quick? Can we respect Nate McMillan now, please? I'm just saying, bro, we was talking about Indiana all last season, and you kept calling them the stepping stone coach. I'm just saying, bro. Seemed like they gave him a stepping stone in Lloyd Pierce, and he did his dang thing. So I think this was all about talent. When I look at it, bro, Nate you McMillan. Make sure that Ian coach. hears this one, too, bro. Make sure bro, Ian hears this one, too, bro. Brooks, because, okay, because Brooks knows my pain. Fellas, like, yo, Tommy Rashad, when I say I've been gassing. Nate McMillan for like most of the time that we've been running this podcast. I mean, it's been ridiculous. So mm-hmm. for me specifically, my biggest thing with Nate has always been that how is it that Indiana, a team everybody sleeps on every year, makes it to the top four seed in the Eastern Conference every single season for the last three years? And then the minute you get rid of the coach, they their their staple of the season is beating up on a Charlotte team to make the second round of the play-in tournament. Why, excuse me, but like that doesn't sound like a step forward in terms of you worrying about moving on from the stepping stone coach. And I, I mean that goes deeper than that because apparently it seems like there was a bunch of internal issues with the coaching staff and versus players and things like that as well, which kind of only further emphasizes my point because you didn't hear a peep out of Indiana when Nate McMillan was coaching the team. You didn't give him Karis Levert either. I'm just saying. So I think personally that I think Nate McMillan he's cut his teeth in this league for too long. I think it is about dang time. They're already discussing the idea of signing him long term. I think that that's the right move. And I think that Nate McMillan needs to get more respect. I think that it's real silly that he's been skipped on in this coach of the year thing multiple times. This year, I'm willing to bite that bullet because, I mean, he came in, quote unquote, late. 
in terms of getting the, the full-time job. But this dude can coach. Um, Ryan, like I said, I don't know where you stand on it now. I, I hope everybody kind of, like, feels what I'm saying in terms of talking about Nick Miller as a coach. I know coaching is mad underrated in the NBA, but, like, bro, like, the dude, the dude turned around an Atlanta team that was looking mad dysfunctional, and he left an Indiana team that got dysfunctional when he left. Um, you know, there's a stability there. I get it. He gets to the top four, top five of the Eastern Conference, but can never make it out of the first round. That was the problem I had with him in Indiana the past four years, which is why him leaving was justified. That's kind of the same problem that he had when he was in Portland. He was there and couldn't make it out of the first round. Now, these are two different eras of basketball, but at the same time, think about the teams that he coached in Portland and Indiana. Their inability to make it out of the first round, especially with the Indiana teams in the late stages with Paul George, I think that might have been an issue, especially with the Paul George teams. Now, I mean, they played LeBron in the first round, so I'll I'll give him credit. But if Trey Young can can put up a 30-point game tonight, and Nate McMillan draws up the right schemes to make sure that Julius Randle struggles for another game, that's when I'll change my stance. Moving on to the Western Conference and the Jazz and the Grizzlies, this seems like a series that could honestly be over with with Donovan Mitchell being back. So now that Mitchell is back, do the Grizzlies win another game? Brooks, I will start with you. I like John Morant, man. And I've said to this, I said to our group chat before that I think John Morant is probably the one over Zion right now, right now. But I don't know. I don't think they win another game. I think it, I think it is a gentleman's sweep. I think Donovan Mitchell is such a difference maker and such a game changer that I don't think John Morant can really, really uh, subtract that. I don't think Dylan Brooks can really subtract that. I think you see Grayson Allen playing out of his mind a little bit right now, but. This isn't the national championship game against Wisconsin. Like, we're not going to see that type of performance again. So, yeah, the Grizzlies season is probably over tonight. Yeah, I, I think I just have to agree. I think, I mean, the Jazz were, there's no, like, they're not the one seed for no reason, right? And you can point to the fact that maybe the Lakers could have been it if they were healthy. But the Jazz played out of their minds this year on both ends of the floor. And they were they're such an efficient team. They've got a really good team defense. They got defensive player of the year, however you think about that. And they've got a rising star who knows what to do on the offensive end of the ball. So I think, as like Brooks said, I really do like John Morant. John Morant's in my top five favorite point guards right now in the league. And that's not just young players. That's point guards as a whole. But I think he hasn't reached the point where his play alone is going to take a whole series. And the fact that the whole team is basically combined, like, 22, 23 years old, they just don't have the experience to to claw back from a 3-1, where this team that they're playing lost the 3-1. So they're, they're kind of, you know, they have that bitter taste in their mouth, like, okay, we're not doing this again. Like, they're going to they're gonna come out, they're going to close. Might be a 20-point victory tonight, or, you know, it might be a 20-point game, but yeah, we'll see. I got the Jazz, though. Like, I think this is a pretty easy dub. Yeah, the future's bright for Memphis, definitely, with Ja, with Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, you saw what he did game one. Future's bright for them, but it's not the future tonight, unfortunately. I mean, as much as I'm not a big Rudy Gobert guy, 
love Donovan Mitchell. Like Rashad said, they're not the one seed because they messed around all year. Like, they're good, and they're going to show it tonight, and they're not going to, you know, come close to thinking about blowing another 3-1 like they already have. But it, it might be a couple years down the line for Memphis. It might be next year, but it's not tonight. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, Memphis is early. I mean, they almost made the playoffs last year. It was the play-in tournament that took them out of it. A new rule took them out of the playoffs. Otherwise, they would have made the playoffs in the first year of John Morant being the new point guard in this new regime in general of things uh, being different from the grit and grind Grizzlies that we've known, you know, in the past uh, with Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, Marcus Gasol, and so on and so forth. I mean, for them to make the playoffs this year, think about the road they had to take, right, to even do so. I mean, everybody, including us, for the most part, on the pod in terms of when we had this conversation uh, with Brooks and Ian, we thought we thought it was Golden State by a, by a mile. And then there was no disrespect to Memphis. We just thought there was no way Curry was going to get taken out in a one-game-or-go-home situation. And we were wrong. We were extremely wrong. And so far, you know, Memphis has played as well as they can against a team that is – you know, in Utah, that was built to, at bare minimum, you know, get past the first round, let alone, you know, really make a run. I think the biggest thing that I pulled from this series is the difference from game one moving forward. Although it is just the Grizzlies is how it'll be phrased. The difference from game one to game two moving forward was Donovan Mitchell. Everybody who keeps doing this comparison to the Utah Jazz, to my affirmation, Atlanta Hawks team from 2015 that had every all-star and no all-star at all at the same time. That's not this Utah Jazz team. They have a good set of role players around them. Uh, Snyder is a legit coach uh, who I think plays no games. And Donovan Mitchell is the star. Like everybody keeps acting like they don't have one solidified guy. Donovan Mitchell was top four in usage rates this year. Like Rudy Gobert, you could argue, was an MVP candidate by himself out of the fact that he was a guy who averaged a double-double, was a defensive player of the year candidate, and I don't know, whole, like literally man's the best defense in the NBA despite playing a center position that is kind of a liability when everybody who's top tier plays on the perimeter. Like, that's insane that you can have a top-level full-team defense because of an inside presence guy. That is nuts. So, I mean, I, they have way more talent than I think that everybody's giving them credit for, for the most part. They're not going to really get their flowers for beating Memphis, but I think that no matter what, they should be a threat moving forward, especially if the the bracket shakes up the way it looks like it might end up doing by the end of this week. And you guys made a lot of great points. I think with the way the the Utah Jazz are built this year, they have a chance to make the Western Conference Finals for sure. I think the one thing that they did right from last year to this year was shoot the three. When they shoot the three consistently, they're going to be fine and they win games. But if we saw in game one, they struggled to shoot the three against the Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies weren't shooting the three that much better. But I feel like now that they have Donovan Mitchell back, it's a game changer. So if the Grizzlies win a game or win another game, it's really going to be because of the play of either John Morant or Jaron Jackson Jr. So moving on now to our next series, the Suns and the Lakers. And this is a series that after last night, I don't really know how you guys feel, but I think it's over. So, Tommy, I mean, you said it was over in the first round, so I'll start with you. Without AD, do the Lakers make it out of the first round? 
Let me just quote the man, Kenny the Jet Smith, real quick. It's over. It's done. It's a wrap. Sorry, LeBron. You're still the goat in my eyes, but here's your first ever first round loss. Devin Booker, the world's getting to see him on a national stage. It's not just hardcore basketball fans. Casual fans are getting to see what he can do now night in and night out. I mean, I don't know all the numbers, but every year Chris Paul goes to a new team, their winning percentage just shoots up. But, yeah, I I think if AD comes back, it can still be a series, but I think Phoenix has it wrapped up overall. If we look at the supporting cast real quick for the Lakers, I mean, look, LeBron with 24-7-5. Dennis Schroeder, how many points did he have in this game? How many points did KCP have in this game? So, I mean, who's to blame for this game five loss? Jalen, I'll go to you on this one. Everybody sucked, bro. LeBron I mean, that's just the games, truth, bro. bro. LeBron, LeBron did what he had to do. It was everybody else. Bro, no, I don't, dude, I don't want to hear I'm my mama's son. I'm my mama's oldest son. I don't want to hear that, bro. Let me tell you, let me tell you something, bro. Because this is, this is how I feel about this, this whole, this whole series. This is the most narrative driven series in the entire postseason right now. This is like ridiculous to me. But I understand it, the injuries, the, the players involved, the fact that we're talking about a 2-7 that, uh, uh, that looks like it's supposed to be in reverse, right, in terms of the teams that we, if we started the year out, I'm pretty sure most of us would have thought maybe Phoenix would have been the seventh seed instead of the Lakers. If you're just looking at roster for roster, you add Andre Drummond in there, maybe you think they're actually better than that. The whole nine yards. But like the reality of this series, it just comes down to, this this whole series has been a war of attrition. When Chris Paul's healthy, they've won. When Chris Paul's not healthy, they've been hurt. They've they they've been they've been hurt as a team. When Anthony Davis has been out, I mean, between the end of the game prior and then missing the game the other day, I mean it wasn't I mean it wasn't great. I mean, overall it just wasn't it wasn't great at all. And I think the biggest thing with this series is just the mere fact that I'm blaming everybody, right? But I think the biggest takeaway that everybody has to take away from the last two games in particular is this whole LeBron virtuoso game thing. Like, we got to cut this mess out. Like, I think they were people were already talking about this kind of like last season a bit coming off, you know, the injured year where he and the, the whole team didn't end up making the playoffs because LeBron missed a good portion of the season. This and the third. Mind you, AD has the same injury that LeBron missed all them games for. So I don't think he's coming back this postseason at all, even if they get out the first round. So there's that. But LeBron James has been looking for a legit co-star to lean on for a minute right and it's become more indicative in these last two seasons in particular because of the fact that LeBron James's IQ is up but his athleticism is not the same despite what the highlights show you in terms of his ability to make certain plays um and that's no disrespect to him that's there's still a dude who is going to jump out the gym regardless but we're talking about a dude who was like at at his peak was probably the next best person couldn't see him (laughs) you know what I mean Versus now he falls into a lane athletically that's very comparable to a lot of other people. Um, so he's no longer different. Cerebrally he is, but like, cerebrally he is, but from a physical standpoint, he's not that much different from a hand, from a handful of guys despite still being up, uh, upper tier athletic. So 
I think this series is over. I want to say it ends in the sixth game, honestly. Um, that I still feel like that feels a little hot takey for some reason. Um, just out of the mere fact that we're talking about a winner go home situation and it's not in game seven. I feel like that him him going home in six games in the first round feels like hot takey, but I feel like that's just the route that this is going. Um, I don't know who wants to do it out of Rashad and Brooks, but somebody can eat off AD's dinner plate because I know somebody's going to say something about the fact that this man's always injured. So either one of y'all can take him, but yeah, mm-hmm. I I won't drive that point home too too much further because we all know like. 80s made of glass, and and when it really matters, the man gets hurt and can't stay on the floor. Um, the way the dude falls is so scary, bro. Oh, every I, time, I, every time the man's just—he looks like he's gonna break. I mean, every time the man falls, um, he's always on the ground too. That's crazy. Um, but no, just just piggybacking off what Jalen was talking about, it's it does feel a little surreal that we're talking, or at least I am. I can't speak for everyone else, but I'm going to speak with so much confidence in the fact that the Suns are going to win this series in six games and LeBron's going to get booted out of the first round. Like, he's very, very good. Man's 36 years old now. Like, he he will lead a team for sure, and if he has the proper help, he can absolutely do it, no problems, no no nothing. Because AD, if he's healthy, this is a five-game series, maybe, right, at max. But... LeBron's doing it by himself, coming off his own couple injuries that have kept him out for a large portion of the series or the season, and he's going up against a team that's so complete in every which way. This is a team that's lethal on the perimeter. They have a point guard finally who can orchestrate the talent that they have. And when you have players like Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges showing up for you, I mean, we all know Mikael Bridges is. Terrific defender, but mm-hmm. him knocking down the three ball as consistently as he has, Cam Johnson being a, a really good uh, floor spacer, Dario Saric even, I mean, he's been playing a little a little bad, but he, he was an instrumental part in what this team has become throughout the season, and I think they just have, the timing is right for the Suns, and the two seed, whether or not you think it's fluke or not, same thing with the Jazz, this is not an accident, This is this is not a team that was just coasting by and ended up being the two seed because LeBron happened to be injured for the rest of the season, right? They earned this. They did everything they needed to. They brought in a point guard who they've been desperately needing for a while. And the series ends tonight. Sadly, we won't see LeBron in the other finals. I think, I mean, this is, this is another show debate, but uh, I think LeBron's finals runs are pretty much over. But I know, obviously, this year it's done, but, you know, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that another time, though. That's a, that's a, whole, <laughs> that's a whole episode in itself. <laughs> Brooke, said I, Brooke said I still got a turn, though. Hold on. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough, bro. I mean, in, in, it's a whole bunch of takes to, to put off. Number one, it hurts the Lakers to have started off the season so quickly mm-hmm. and to not have that usual recovery time. And that's why... You see LeBron James, you see AD having all these boo-boos, uh, Dennis, you know, whoever it may be, bro. This team just did not have enough time to recover, and it really hurt them. You know what I mean? Even the Miami Heat, bro. Miami Heat, they just were not able to really, again, they didn't have that stamina. They didn't have the talent in order to do what they did in the bubble. And, you know, obviously it's like an outlier, but, yeah, that Mickey Mouse ring it was just, it was really crazy. And I don't believe it was a Mickey Mouse ring. But it's, it's you see these you see these season results from the Miami Heat and the Lakers, and you're kind of like, 
how legitimate is that really when you lose in the first round? You get swept and you get gentlemen or not gentlemen sweep, but you know, you might end up getting six rings or six uh games out of the of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that you don't have backcourt talent like the Phoenix Suns do really hurts you. Not having Rajon Rondo on that squad, someone that's cerebral as LeBron James really hurts you. The Lakers are going to have to look for a backcourt that can really help alleviate some of that pressure off of LeBron and especially AD. Because, again, AD is like that guy off of SpongeBob. The sad story, every day I break my bones, I break my <laughs> wrists. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's ridiculous. I'm glad that AD got his money before this season came up because mm-hmm. if he, the, based off this year he just had, yeah, I wouldn't want to give him $200 million because a dude can't stay on the floor. It's terrible. This Phoenix Suns team is perfectly, is, is as good, as good built, as greatly built as you can build a playoff team going forward. I, I, I feel like they almost skipped steps being this good so early. Like, is Chris Paul really the reason why? They became this great so early. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's scary to think about. Chris Paul is obviously a Hall of Fame point guard, but like, how much difference can you really make as a six-two, a sub-six-foot point guard? You know what I mean. No matter how he's the real are, stepping stone. Yeah, he is the real stepping stone. I, I I absolutely agree with that, man. Yeah, LeBron James. I don't think his finals career is over, but he's looking more human than he ever has before. You see the guy. He admits that he's not going to be not 100% anymore with the ankle injury. The groin injury is has a thing of the past, but maybe it's still affecting him. We just saw him take a scary fall uh, uh, against the Warriors. He, could, he literally could have torn up his ACL, his MCL, all of that on that one collision he had. So, yeah, the guy's looking more human than ever. He he just isn't – you're not going to see that 2015 performance out of him anymore when he's averaging 40 points a game against the Warriors. That's just not going to happen anymore. He's not that superhuman anymore. I see him hoisting more threes than he ever has before. I, that's not what I watch LeBron James for. I want to see you go to the hole. I want to see you post up. I want to see the LeBron James the old, and that's just not him anymore. And for right now, he's going to have to recalibrate how he plays. He's going to have to figure out – how to be even more dangerous than he ever has been before. Because right now, this just isn't it. AD, get somebody else that can help supplant that damage, man. Maybe you play Trez. Maybe you play Marcus Saulmore. I don't know, man. But something is something needs to be done. Because they got to they gotta win game six. All right, moving on to the next series, which this is going to be a very interesting series. So the Blazers lose game five to the Denver Nuggets in double overtime. Jalen, I'll start with you on this. What was the glaring issue with the Portland Trail Blazers last night? You started with the wrong one, bro. <laughs> started with the wrong one, bro. Because I would be here a minute. Dude, I was saying this pre-pod. I was thinking about this the entire time looking back at the game, bro. 55 points, third most in a loss in a playoff series game. 17 of 19 points between... 17 of 19 points between two overtimes. You have you commit one turnover in the entire game. I think he was like 11 of some. I think he had 11 threes, 12 threes. You set the record. It was 12 for the 12 was the record, right? So 12 threes in the game. 
bro, that's just that's not how it's supposed to go down, bro. Like that's that's the only way I can phrase. That's the, it's not, it's not that's not how it's supposed to go down, bro. You can't. And I get it. D. Mitch is in a different situation when he dropped fifty-seven against Denver, and I I, I understand same team, same result. But bro, like I mean, Monte Morris got off for almost thirty. Austin Rivers. I'm sure 10 days is over, bro. Like, I'm going to be honest. That man, they must have re-signed him to another 10 days or they gave that boy an extension. Because otherwise, I'm pretty sure his 10-day mercenary contract ended, like, <laughs> early this week. So I don't know what the heck is going on in terms of, or late last week, whatever. But I don't understand what's going on with that in terms of him being so produ- pro- uh, productive for them. Um, Obviously, yo, you know, Jokic went off and, 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 uh, Michael Porter had a double double as well. Like, yo, like, what are you supposed to do with that? Like, if you drop fifty five, do your thing, take care of the rocks, shoot crazy from three, do what you are supposed to do. In terms of just simply being able to keep your team in the ball game, there was a couple times towards the late. I mean, there was. I think there was a point where Denver's Denver was up by eight in OT. I want to say, and like they kept it around, like like Portland kept it around. And you would have thought it was supposed to be over, and then Dame hits the three to push it again. It's like, you can't do anything else. So, that comes to my, like, overlying issue. I say over because I think it's more important than anything else in this entire series. Fellas, this series can kick rocks because I'm kind of, like, over with it. I think whoever wins is going to be in for it next time. Regardless, I'm going to just keep it a bean with y'all. But where are y'all on Portland after this year, bro? Because we've heard blow up a million times. Ryan is captain bomb bomb man when it comes to like throwing a team in the garbage and restarting. Like what's up, bro? Because like for me, I don't know. Everybody keeps saying blow him up, and I'm like, but how? Like you know what I mean? Like logically, how? it's just like the Wizards, Brooks, we run into this issue all the time. Why would we trade Bradley Beal if he wants to stay, right? The same thing falls into a similar lane, I think, I think in terms of Portland with Dame, and I think CJ as well, and everybody keeps trying to put CJ on Philly for some reason, but like, okay, cool, I don't understand why they keep trying to give Portland Ben Simmons like that fits. I'm not really sure what that's about either. But, like, where do y'all stand on Portland moving forward, whether they win this series or not? Because I think regardless, they're not winning the chip, so everybody's going to be looking at Portland's offseason and wondering what their next play is. Because if they don't win the championship, they still fall into the circumstance of people wondering whether or not that Western Conference that Western Conference run that they had a couple years ago was the real deal. Or, make it worse, was it their last, was it, was that their cap ceiling shot? Was that their best shot at it? So either one of y'all can take it or y'all both can take it, but I'm just really confused. I'm not confused. I really wonder what y'all feel about Portland moving forward because I don't think they're winning the chip. I think this series honestly only makes their postseason run, whether they get out of it or not, kind of tainted a smidge because Dame is killing it and his supporting cast doesn't look great. So, like, what do y'all think they do this offseason in general, regardless win, lose, or draw? I think you blow up the, that front office and you blow up that, that head coach. I think you got to get rid of Terry Stotts. You got to get rid of Neil Oshie. Because those guys, I mean, look, Terry Stotts is a great coach. He's figured out how to get these guys, you know, press their buttons, figured out how to build an offense around C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. 
But for whatever reason, man, these guys, again, just like I said with the Celtics, they cannot get over the hump. And Damian Lillard, he's here to stay. He wants to stay. That much is obvious. That much is true. Mm-hmm. I probably am more willing to get rid of CJ McCollum between the two of them. You mm-hmm. gotta, you gotta appease Damian Lillard. You gotta figure it out, figure out a way to keep this team to be a contender. And they're just not it right now. So you gotta get rid of Terry Sauce. You gotta get rid of Neil. And you gotta build it up from there. You gotta figure out what can I get from for CJ McCollum? What can I get from Melo? What can I get for, uh, for, for, um, uh, what's the center's name again? Jerkic. Jerkic. You gotta give, you gotta figure out, you gotta figure out what, what assets you can get, what, what, when not pieces you can get from that. Because the way this Portland team is right now, they, they have a superstar and, and, and Damian Lillard, he's the most dominant guy on that roster. You gotta figure out everything else because CJ McCollum is a great partner, but he's just not that guy. Mm. Yeah, I, I loved what he did against Denver a couple of years ago. And I loved what he did against the Lakers and all that. But nah, that guy is not the the the, the second the the uh secondary ball handler, the secondary scorer that you need him to be all the time. Yeah, and the Blazers are so weird because they made that trade for Norman Powell at the deadline and they got rid of their twenty two year old rising scorer that they needed on the wing. For a 28-year-old declining, I don't care what you think of Norman Powell. He's he was he's not as good of an asset as Gary Trent Jr. is, and I think that trade was probably the dumbest thing I I've ever seen because I looked at it when the when the alert popped up and I'm like, okay, so you're trading for the same player but older, and they have to pay him, and they have to pay him, which is the thing. Like they're I don't think they know what they want to do, and I think that's why they keep making moves like, you know, Norman Powell. I think was a win now. How you know, as bad of a win win now move can be, that's what they were trying to do with that Norman Powell trade. And the fact that it's not working out leaves them in a situation where they don't really have any young assets besides Anthony Simons. They have a rising aging point guard in Damian Lillard, and they have a shooting guard who's not providing any help when it matters most. Right? So you've got a situation where you're stuck with no young assets, no real future, basically, and a point guard who wants to stay and a point guard you're not even willing to get proper help for. C.J. McCollum's not the secondary ball handler, like like Jalen said, it, or, you know, like everyone said. C.J. McCollum's not the secondary ball handler, right? And I think they need to go the route of Golden State, which is you have such, you have such a gift in Damian Lillard. The fact that they don't utilize him as much as humanly possible, like the Warriors did with Steph in the second half of the season, you let Damian Lillard go off. You get him players around who are going to play defense because that's the big thing, right? Damian Lillard does not play that great of defense. CJ McCollum absolutely does not play that good of defense. So you get some, you get a, a two man who primarily focuses on defense, right? You get someone who will do all the extra things while Dame drops 30, while Dame drops 40, right? And I think that's the route they have to go because it's not looking good for them. They have a bunch of assets that aren't winning assets, and Dame cannot do it by himself right now. And Dame doesn't have the proper tools to be even remotely close to being able to do it by himself. And I think top to bottom, they probably should just just drop the A-bomb on it and, and blow it all the way up because they've left themselves in such a situation where 
they can't really do much besides blow it up. Like, you can keep playing for the fourth, fifth, sixth seed every year. You're not getting any good lottery picks out of that. You're not – there's no chance in hell they're going to win a championship anytime soon. So now you're, you're stuck in a rut where you're, you're playing for this middle-of-the-pack spot and not advancing. You're not rebuilding. You're not contending. You're kind of just playing the game. Right. Yeah, I wish I honestly wish we could have got Tommy Tommy's perspective before he had to bounce because I think that's one of those things that like I feel like from a fan perspective is so important because we can play the rag game all we want to but I feel like we're obviously trying to be a lot more realistic with this team right. versus the team versus the fan who really you know feels a certain way about his squad but I think that one thing I feel like Tommy would probably openly agree with and maybe I'll just check with him later on but honestly like one of the things I think he agrees with is. Bumping your head on the ceiling eventually is going to give you a headache, mm-hmm. right? So that's one of those things where, I mean, Ryan, this is where your Indiana take, I think, is kind of interesting because there comes a point where you bump your head on the ceiling too many times and eventually you find you have to find somebody else. And Indiana's gamble was changing coaches, and that hurt them. That hurt them big time, and now they've got to kind of refunnel things again. That does make me, you know, kind of cause the pause in terms of coming at Terry Stotts because I think he can legit coach for real. And I think that's one of those things that's mad interesting. But again, then where do you point it to? Because from a personnel standpoint, I mean, really, if you're going to blow it up, we keep trying to play this the sugar code way where we're like, if you blow it up, you can't get rid of Dame. Like Dame's like your your building block for the blow up. Dame ain't sticking around for no blow up, dude. I mean, that's just straight facts like that. We know he wants to stay there, but he wants to stay there because they're trying to win. They got a backcourt that's legit. I think CJ McCollum is the truth. I just think that the biggest thing with him is he's been he's been injured pretty consistently down the stretch uh, these last couple of years. And I think another thing too is that like I think CJ is good as a guy who can give you some microwave microwave scoring in general. I'm not calling him like a six man or anything like that. I'm not going to disrespect him. But I think he's a guy that I think if we're going to elevate this team, he's the best asset you have. I don't I'm not I'm not even trying to disrespect him as a player or his play style or anything of that nature. I just think that if 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 you're not going to get Dame a second banana who can genuinely compete with him as the first banana then you need to get him a secondary guy next to him who does something so significantly well on the opposite end of the spectrum. Hence where Rashad was talking about the defensive uh, side of that. I think they tried to be slick with that by getting Rocco, but that didn't turn out as well as they probably anticipated. So I I think that this is a team that like, I think if I'm speaking of it from a fan's perspective, if you blow it up, for lack of a better way to phrase this, don't half-ass it. If you're going to blow it up, blow it up. If you're going to keep going moving forward, first of all, you need to figure out what the heck that Norman Powell move was because either way you were going to have to pay Norman Powell or Gary Trent. I understand Gary Trent probably would have been, quote-unquote, more expensive because he's a younger asset that could probably command a lot for a rebuilding team moving forward. But I think that if you try to make a win-now move, you shouldn't be in a situation where your star player drops 55 and you can't find anybody else. I mean, it's that simple, I think. Moving on to our last series, and you know what? I'm going to hand this to the Clippers fan on the podcast. Rashad, one word to describe this series so far, because it has been crazy. I'm just, I'm I'm very confused, right? (laughs) I I think that's, (laughs) I'm just so, (laughs) I lost how you have, have arguably two top five perimeter defenders in the league. 
And for whatever reason, both of them could not stop Luka Doncic for two straight games. Like, obviously, Luka's one of those players you're not going to stop, per se, right? But you have two of you who play literally the exact same game. You, They finished the season with the exact same stats. I looked it up several times to make sure this was right. They both averaged about 24. They both had about six rebounds. They both had about five assists, right? It's uncanny how similar they play to each other and how good they are. They wouldn't take the assignment of Luka Doncic those first two games. And, and I'm wondering why, after a year that's been so disappointing for you last year in terms of the postseason, you know, there were there were grand expectations for your team, and then you blow a 3-1 lead, right? I mean, it, they're, they should have come into this series with the mentality of, we are not going to lose a single game. And for the first two games, they didn't play like that at all. Kawhi never took the – well, Kawhi did take some of the assignments for me. Paul George never did. Paul George was basically like – he was kind of there, but he was kind of half-assing the, the defensive assignment. And, you know, they turned around game two. The, the coaching changes were very apparent when it came to how they're going to guard Luka because you stop Luka, you win the game. Like, it, it, it's that simple. And they didn't pick up on it until they went back to um, – well, they went back to Men- or to Dallas, right? You lose two games. You lose the first two games on your home court. First, but that's embarrassing in itself. And the fact that the series looked completely over after game two was just like, this this team didn't work at all. This experiment sucked. But, you know, they turn it around. They make the adjustments. Paul George, Kawhi. Kawhi has been going off. And I love that man's game so much <laughs> because he has been doing quite literally everything for this team and backpacking them. The man shot, I think, I can't remember if it was game three or four, but he started the game eight for eight. Or I think he started nine for nine. The man didn't miss a shot. And that's the type of game they needed to play from from both of them. I mean, Paul George is as streaky of a shooter as you can get, but there's a lot of production that needed to have happened in those first two games. And I'm glad they turned it around, but now it's a 2-2 series. Now you're still neck and neck. It's basically like you didn't play any games. It's, It's the first to two basically now and that's not what you want because i mean they're gonna get lucky because luca's injury is probably gonna hold them back just a tiny bit tiny bit enough for them to to take the wins in games uh five and six but you know if i'm looking at next series as a clippers fan and as a player i'm not feeling confident like this is this is a series we should have won four one but now it's two two so that's my rant i know i took i talked for a minute but I don't know, man. The Clippers get me going because they're just such a they're such an infuriating team. Brooks, one word to describe this series. WTF? I don't know. I mean, listen, bro. Luca's neck and so Luca Luca was nuclear, nuclear, nuclear. Yeah, nuclear. Luca was amazing. Like again, like I said earlier. Milwaukee did what LA thought they could do. Simple as that. They should they should have won that series in the gentleman's sweep. But Luca again was is literally top five players in the league right now, and you cannot stop him if you're having one guy half-ass the assignment. Now a neck injury will probably be the re- a neck injury for Luca, and the fact that that Kristaps Porzingis continues to sell on that team offensively and defensively. You you're you're missing Seth Curry. You don't have the firepower that you that you necessarily need. Like Luca's gonna be able to carry a team no matter what. 
but you need a better supporting cast. Like Josh Richardson isn't that that trade was still weird to me. I don't understand why that happened. But you you should have kept Seth Curry. You should have done everything that you could to keep him around because that dude was such a good off the bench guy. He was really able to help pick up the pace off the bench. You missed that a whole lot. So I feel like if Mavericks end up losing that series, it's because they don't have enough production everywhere else. And can KP continues to show that he's overrated and he's he's just going to continue to sell those things. So, yeah, I hope that for Ty Lue's case and for Kawhi Leonard's case that they win. Because if they don't, where does he go? I really don't know where he goes. He should have stayed in Toronto, if we're being completely honest. But he didn't want to live with those cold summers or those cold winters, I should say. Jalen, it's only fitting we close out this podcast with your take. One word to describe this Clippers Mavericks series. I mean, this is the SAT word of the day on the bar, bro. I'm confused. Like, that's, this is probably the series that kind of blows me the most because the weird chess match that they have going on is, like, not even, like, intellectual. Like, it's just, like, probabilities, right? Like, games one and two, Dallas shoots nuts. Not at their home floor, not in front of their home crowd, goes ballistic in L.A., shoots the lights out of the ball, and they win both games, and everybody thinks the fall is, the, the sky is falling. We get to the next two games, Ty Lue jinxes them by telling them that they're going to end up regressing back to the mean, which is a like a sub-40% shooting, like three-point three point shooting team, or like sub-45% three-point shooting team as a whole, and that's exactly what they did, and LAC won the next two games. The Clippers took Avika Zubac off the floor and started starting Nicholas Batum, which was like a very interesting uh, lineup switch that has actually benefited them, considering that Luka has been picking on Avika Zubac the entire time, or at least in the first two games. Um, that's where he feasted a lot, was catching them in switch situations. Um, eight guys guarded Luka in game four in case nobody was like counting. Uh, Patrick wow. Beverly has only played two minutes. He only played two minutes in the last game. Something that I don't think we would say about a guy who, uh, cut his teeth on defense. And now we're talking about Rondo and Reggie Jackson both playing at least 20 minutes a game. And Beverly is pretty much out of this series. Um, this is a new LAC for real, bro. <laughs> like, this is a new LAC for real. No Lou Will. Montrez Harrell can't cut his teeth on the Lakers to play any minutes. And now P- Patrick Beverly can't get on the floor in a series where if you ask your best, quote-unquote, your best perimeter defender or one of your top per- perimeter defenders to go get that guy, your your best perimeter defender is not – your, quote-unquote, best perimeter defender is not even on the floor, I mean, he's not, I guess he's not your best, but the fact that he's one of your top three best and he can't even get on the floor, and that's like his one primary asset, tells you how much of a net negative he is on on every other, in every other asset of the game, um, especially in this series more particularly. So this whole series is just mad confusing, bro. 2-2 is just about where this kind of series should be, if it's that confusing. I think it would be even more confusing if somebody had a 3-1 lead because you'd have to ask yourself how. Right. Like you wouldn't even have like a, a pinpoint statistic that I'd be like, yeah, this is why you got destroyed three times. Like, that's why. So I think two two is about where this series is supposed to be. I think the uh, I think the uh, the Clippers slept walk into this one thinking that, oh, they had them last time. 
they're a quote unquote better team roster construction wise this year. So, oh, they would just be able to take them down. I think they don't realize that Luca progressed despite not winning MIP. Like you can still get better and not win an award for it. So I think that's something that's interesting as well. So, I mean, I don't know, man. I like this series in general. I think, I think the Clippers still win it. They just got to close out, bro. I mean, that's really the reality of it. I said this after the first two games when we did our pod with Brooks and Ian. I think the biggest thing that's haunted them is the fact that over the last two years, this year, throughout the regular season included, if we're talking about this year and last season, is their biggest thing is closing closing games. They are great front runners, but they are bad when they have to come from behind. Or they're bad when the lead is close with five minutes left, which is something in game, I believe, one or two they were up by a couple of points with like seven minutes left and then basically didn't score for the rest of the quarter to end the game off and lose. So I think as long as they can continue to close games, I mean, if they can close games or get that really big early leads, the series will be over in six. But, yeah, confusing. Should have been over in five, but, you know. I don't disagree. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting closing series for sure, depending on who wins game five and game six, possibly game seven as well. but. This was a great episode today and we're, we're glad that we got to, we got to talk some basketball with some fellow Towson alums. So Brooks, I'll start with you. Do you have anything to promote? Because I heard HMO has some new merch. Yeah, man, we got, well, we got the same merch. It's just got, got more of it. So if you guys want some hear me out merch, we got some fist merch, some F it is summer merch. So if you guys want some, send them, give it $20 a pop. Hit me up on IG. Hit me up on hit hit up hmo.ent on uh, Instagram, and you can go from there. Rashad, what about you? Because I know you have a YouTube channel now. Uh, I'm working on it actually. Next week is the start of regular content again. So, um, yeah, the YouTube channel is called Shad Piper, um, S H A D, and then Piper. And then I also have my own multimedia business that actually. Uh, good news today just actually be- became a, a proper business. So got all my Congrats, work. bro. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, run that multimedia business called Piper Productions on Instagram. It is at Piper Productions, I think, underscore at the end. Um, so, yeah, check it out. Check out my work. And if you want to work, let me know. Make sure to drop all that stuff in the description down below, too. So for sure. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, what is one word that you can describe this Clippers Mavericks series? We want to thank our guests today, Brooks Warren, Rashad Christian, and Tommy Parker for coming on and helping us with this Towson collab. We'll definitely do another one of these down the road. But on that note, we will see you guys next episode. Peace!